Welcome to Investing by the Books, a podcast by Red Eye. I'm your host, Eddie Palmgren, and with me in the studio is my colleague, Niklas Savos. And today comes another episode where we talk with a fund manager about a book of their choice. So, Niklas, who is our guest uh, this time? We have the great pleasure to introduce Erik Sprinkon, who is a portfolio manager at Tin Fonder in Stockholm. Erik has been a portfolio manager for over 25 years at various firms and launched Tin Fonder in 2019 together with Carl Armfelt. Together, they had a very successful spell at Swedbank Gruber, co-managing their technology fund. And uh, Tin Fonder has two funds. Tin New Technique invests in technology, health and digital brands with a focus on the Nordic market, while the second fund, Tin World Tech, has a global mandate. Erik, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So you've been in the business for a long time. Uh, how did your passion for investing start? Well, I had the good fortune to be born in a country with a strong equity culture, I would say. I mean, that, that certainly helped. I did my first uh, feeble steps as a, as a speculator um, in the mid-80s. And then I luckily sold everything, all, all the five stocks that I owned um, just before um, um, entering into conscription, which was mandatory back then. And uh, I felt like a genius in October 87, having sold just before. Um, and that sort of impacted my, my confidence. And I thought, you know, I, I can make, make a living from this eventually. Nice. And, uh, and how about the reading part? When did that start? Uh, I, I think uh, I had another you know, great fortune to be able to, to uh, you know, read and, and write really early. Uh, not just um, not so much books at their early age, more like comics. Um, but uh, eventually, uh, when I went into to university uh, doing finance, uh, the um, the whole topic of behavioral finance was completely missing at the uh, at that time. It was all about the Homo economicus and the rational man and rational decisions. And 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 so I'm basically self-taught in the in the behavioral arena and um, reading a lot of books on the topic has certainly helped. Um, it's not, I, I do like to read a lot. I, I had some kind of idea that one, one third of the books would be in, in about human nature, one, one third uh, you know, finance in general and one third more, more uh, general fiction. Uh, it hasn't worked out perfectly, but uh, at least I have a, a number of, of uh, interesting books uh, under my belt. Nice. So which book have you chosen for us today? I've chosen one of the most influential books on, on, on my thinking uh, all time. It's 15 years old, but still very relevant. And it's called Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me. Why did you choose that one? Well, it's, it touches so many aspects of, of uh, how we, uh, we as, as human beings uh, think and, and act and, and the mistakes that we make. Uh, I think mistakes is, is a topic uh, of its own, especially in, in fund management and, and uh, um, in a very measurable uh, activity. Uh, we, we tend to think that we mix, make mistakes all the time. How do we react on our own mistakes? How, how, how do we view other people's mistakes and so forth? So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting topic. And it, it cuts, uh, and dissonance theory is, is perhaps has been known for a long time. Uh, I certainly even even in in um, in high school I learned about uh, dissonance reduction and the, the marketing people were always faster 
to, to learn about psych, human psychology and, and formalize it and use it in their marketing communication. And, you know, you just bought this car. It's a great car. Congratulations. It looks great. So, I mean, that's, that's typical dissonance reduction. And it plays into uh, our human uh, unthink, you know, unthinking effort to, to uh, like a thermostat, to, to keep a dissonance level low. We want to be internally consistent. You know, I'm a smart person. I, I make a mistake. I mean, it's, you know, it doesn't rhyme. I mean, I, I need to uh, sort of justify myself a little bit. So I, uh, mistakes were made, but you know somebody else did it. <laughs> it's it's very natural, and it, but it's it's also it can be very dangerous. So it's it's good to be aware of it and try to uh, uh, you know put it in, in in your sort of forehead before your eyes, and and it's you can't think about it all the time, but it can certainly help you in in many areas and. Everything from science uh, to, to, to law and order and politics and marriage, I mean, relations, these, the, self, the tendency for us humans to, so, to use self-justification is, is, a, is a dangerous trap in many areas. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, one of the, one of the authors who are really prolific in this is, of course, Robert Cialdini with his influence from the 70s that, I mean, he, he didn't write it for marketing people, but those were the ones embracing it. Yeah. Um, who are the authors of, um, of this book? They're called Carol Tavris and Elliot Aronson. I, I don't know any of them uh, uh, much about either of them, you know, specifically. I just know that they wrote this book in, you know, and did it well, sort of in a, in a collaborative effort. Great. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the the story? What, what's what's the book uh, about, more in detail? Well, if if you sort of follow uh, the the plot, sort of chapter by chapter, they they in the intro they go through some examples how we dis, dis, disassociate ourselves from from mistakes, and and then they go through the whole dissonance theory and and the, which is the engine behind self justification. Uh, a lot of examples. So, so, you know, Thesis such as you know believing is seeing, not the reverse. You know, if I believe this thing, then I see only things corroborating that view. Um, and one central uh, aspect of of dissonance theory is is the what they call the pyramid of choice. And I think it's it's, it's we can sort of stop there and and think about that because I think it's the, the essential for for the whole book. I mean. Uh, the three of us can be uh, at this, almost at the exact same point at the top of the pyramid. But say one of us takes a little nudge in one direction and the others take uh, a nudge towards the other direction. And then we self-justify those choices and all the way down until we're diametrically opposed in terms of politics or if, if it's... Uh, a, uh, you know, in, in relation to one another, or, or so it's it's a very uh, that mechanic is is what really is dangerous about the, the dissonance. Uh, and then going from there, uh, they talk about the blind spots, how we we uh, we use uh, self justification as as uh, and, and dissonance avoidance as 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 um, fish use water basically. It's so natural for us, it's unseen. We don't even know we, we're doing it, and, and that makes it even harder to sort of uh, um, overcome or, or, or change. 
Then um, memory works the same way. It's it's uh, the self just justifying historian they call it. Uh, of course, we can't trust our own memories uh, either. And then they go through some of, of the most important examples and and areas where where uh, you know self justification uh, is 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 an influence in science, uh, law and disorder. I mean, the whole. Uh, history of, of people being imprisoned for the wrong reasons, uh, uh, interrogators being self-justified just, in, in how they, even if DNA evidence shows that this person is innocent, they still believe in the you know, confession they got, and that's, that's more important than the DNA evidence. Yeah, the police who says, I, I never interrogate innocent people. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then from a personal perspective, you know, self-justification in marriage and, and a relationship, I mean, that's of particular interest because, I mean, yes, I'm a fund manager. I try to do the best I can as a professional, but, you know, my, my, my other life is, is equally or, or even more important, right? And I would say that uh, it's not just in marriage or in, in relationships, but in parenthood. I think you, this book can really help if you, if you read it and take some, some of it on board. And of course, it, I mean the, the whole this dissonance uh, is prevalent in politics and war and conflict, um, and especially where where there is some kind of status involved. It reinforces self justification, uh, makes us people even less likely to uh, to own up to mistakes, and because it doesn't look good. So the more public you are, the more more status you have. Uh, the more likely you will fall into the uh, dissonance uh, theory traps. And then a solution towards the end. What do you, what, what do, you do? You know, let go, own up, <laughs> which is easy to say, but hard to do. Uh, but but if, if, uh, if, you, if, you, um, if you truly realize, you, okay, you made a mistake, it, it, it hurts, but then you know, if, if to own up and, and to, to, to also makes it possible to let go of, of that mistake and, and move on. And, and interestingly, interestingly uh, you know, people who do that are often well, very well received by whoever you know, sees or, or hears it. Uh, we love those people. Um, so it, it, it's... Um, Admitting to mistakes is is uh, it it comes natural to to us as investors, right? We, we because we're exposed to mistakes so so many times. Perhaps we get inured. Perhaps we get better at at owning up to mistakes than the general public. I don't know. Yeah, there's many examples of different biases in the book, and uh, uh, like marriage, for example, can also be applied in that way. Many people say, "Oh, I'm married to this stock," and so on. So yeah. Um, but which biases are most common for you? Do you say when when you're investing? Uh, the the really hard one is of course uh, loss aversion. Um, how how would you ever try to get around that? I mean, it 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 really hurts when you know something goes down. But it it being aware of that and and some, in some way, you know, the the whole issue of behavioral finance is is so almost you can call it a lost cause in a way because it's. Uh, it, I, 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 my metaphor for it is, is the, you know, the, the driverless vehicles, auto, autonomous driving. Is you know, first people are really afraid, 
it won't work. I will die. And second phase, they're amazed. This actually works. And, and the third and final phase, you know, it's really boring because this computer is <laughs> so <laughs> law-abiding and slow. <laughs> and it's the same for us uh, or for me as an investor, um, learning about, you know, uh, Tversky and Kahneman and the studies and, and how, you know, all these biases, it, it felt, you know, made, filled me with dread. Oh, I've been so stupid. A lot of dissonance at that very point. And, but then phase two, uh, resolution. I will defeat <laughs> my biases. <laughs> and then sort of uh, uh, resigning to the fact that some of these things are hardwired and you, you have to sort of find coping strategies around them. And I, I think I've uh, found uh, relatively successful coping strategies around uh, loss aversion. But it's something uh, that, that is the, the first and foremost of all biases in the investment world, I think. What do you think? I agree. And I mean, I, if you listen to, to Munger, he says he's, he's studied this his whole life. And uh, I mean, for example, he, he talks a lot about the incentive, the problems with, with incentives, and he always underestimated. Mm. I mean, even though of his 98 years, I think. Yeah. So, um, I was thinking also that, I mean, investing is a game of probabilities and a bad outcome does not necessarily equal a mistake. Um, so I'm curious to know first, how, you, how do you define a mistake as an investor? Well, I'm, I'm a chess player, so I have a little, uh, um, uh, in chess there, there are, are uh, you know, levels of mistakes. Yeah, you can commit an error, not the very best move, and then you can make a, a mistake, which is a little more serious, and then you can make blunders which are more terminal to, <laughs> to, to a game of chess. So I guess uh, um, uh, risk management uh, step one is, is sort of trying to avoid blunders. Uh, set yourself, that's the formation of, a, of an investment strategy or of investment philosophy. And, you know, one circle of competence if you want to go Buffett. But, you know, it's do... do um, don't do anything outside of what you said you were going, going to do, right? Then within that, uh, what is a mistake? What is an error? Uh, I think we can, if we, uh, given the volatility of the stock market, uh, we certainly expose ourselves to, to daily errors. I think, you know, um, our, our funds have performed really well over a very long time. We still have, you know, positive outcomes on a daily basis, maybe 52% of the time. That means 48% errors, if you will. Uh, if, you, if you interpret a, a negative outcome on a daily basis as, as an error. Um, take, the, you know, take uh, loss aversion, uh, Two and a half times more psychological pain of a loss than a you know than a gain, and they cal calculate you know minus two and a half times 0.448 plus 0.52. Is it we're constantly unhappy, right? <laughs> <laughs> so 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 but doing that calculation it it makes the whole loss aversion on a daily basis a little bit ridiculous, and that helps. To think in those terms so because you, know, you said uh, investing is a game of probabilities uh, well the the problem is that those probabilities are not known 
exactly. It's not a casino. Yeah, and it's also all the positions that you didn't take in the fund and you see soaring and you also have the mistakes of omission. FOMO, regret, yeah. you know, it's all there. Yeah. So I think you mentioned some uh, some advice that, that uh, the authors um, offer. Um, but, I mean, in terms of... Um, actions to, to you can implement as an investor do you have any examples of that well i think you, you still need to d- despite this this um being aware of the dissonance theory the the, the risk of self-justification um all all the blind spots all the biases uh that can lead a person to think you know we, we don't know anything about anything and that's that idea that Sentiment is is uh, I think it seems it's rather fashionable, especially among, among uh, you know the really smart head fund managers. They can at least profess, I, well, we don't know anything, do we? Uh, but I think uh, that philosophical route leads to some apathy and nihilism, at worst. So I think you need to have uh, you need to make an effort to ac- actually achieve something. So you have to have strong opinions. But back to Mr. Munger, uh, strong but malleable. I mean, that's the. We, we need to make decisions, and we need to be um, able and and resolute in in making decisions. So we we need, and, and that's also I I don't like this the the um, some people use the Dunn and Kruger, but yeah yeah the supreme confidence without knowing anything. I I can. It's it's useful as a as a mental model, but it, I th- I still think that people need to be resolute. I mean, you have to su- you know, succumb to to some of these biases in in being resolute. Otherwise, you you won't achieve anything. But then you know, being have mastering uh, you know cognitive dissonance and self justification and uh, avoiding that, then owning up to your mistakes uh, as you go along making them then you actually learn from those mistakes. And, and mistakes are really important. I, I used to be um, a sports coach, and I you know, distinctly remember one practice where uh, some of the team mates were, we had one individual exercise which was done, and, and the other team members were sort of uh, jeering and sort of before the, the important moment actually pre-called it uh, error you do, wrong thing doing the doing it badly whatever and you know it's if it made me furious i had to you know stop stop the training and then do a little speech so you know, we, if we can't allow our teammates to make mistakes during practice how can we ever excel in a match right and it's it's i think that goes for life itself too i mean we, we need to give ourselves the opportunity to make mistakes and owning up to the fact that we do make mistakes and owning up to, I mean, it's, it's not that hard. It doesn't hurt so much to, to say, I made an error, I made a mistake. It's actually, I mean, it, it shouldn't be such a level of, of dissonance doing that. I mean, that's, I think that's the real message of, from, from this book that you can, you know, learn, learn take value from. Yeah, and when we're facing all those decisions. One thing that I found interesting with this book and a really fascinating part was the part about memory. Mm. 
mm-hmm. and uh, one woman, for example, expressing like fond mem- memories of her father reading a certain book for her as a child, and then she found out later in life that oh, actually the book was published one year after her father died. Yeah. So she was like, "This is not," and that's the dissonance that you're talking about when you things don't make sense. But but as an investor, like to learn, do you have any like do you write down in the moment, or do you have a diary, or any way to to like for all your decisions that you make? I have to admit, I'm not that structured. Um, I I do um, I do enjoy reading and learning, but uh, I don't internalize it very as as a as a good student. Uh, writing journals and things um, uh, other than the uh, sort of little book writing project that I, uh, I'm, I'm engaged in. Um, so uh, it's, um, I think it, it's, I try to internalize the most important things about uh, from the, the books I read. Uh, and, and I guess some books uh, are more prominent in my memory, my, my false memory. And, and this is certainly one of them. Um, and this, is this like a book that you reread every now and then? Because otherwise, I can imagine that you read it and then you have the you remember it and then you. F- yeah, I mean, uh, the the whole rereading uh, is something that I need to do more of. Uh, one example is, is I guess we all read uh, "Fooled by Randomness." Yeah. Uh, can you recall reading it the first time, uh, feeling uh, perhaps uh, Talib being slightly arrogant in his tone? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, I actually, I actually uh, read the Black Swan first. Yeah. Okay. So I think I had that realization <laughs> with that. But the thing, "Fooled by Randomness," is is one of the few books I've read several times, and you know, reading it the second time, it's not just. Uh, it wasn't just. Oh, he's so right, but so arrogant. The second time was it. Oh, he's so right. Mm. But is that because you are suffering from this uh, <laughs> <laughs> disliking tendency? I think they call it. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but uh, rereading is is a good thing. I mean, uh, everybody should do that more, uh, given all all the time that we all have, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a it's definitely a. But it's also a question about I mean, how much you you take in from a book and what actions, as we say, what actions you implement. Maybe in, in this type of book, it's more of getting the awareness or for some, it may be start start to write the diary. For others, it may be using a devil's advocate, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do you uh, follow um, short sellers, for example, in the companies you, you follow, if there are short sellers in those? Oh, in some cases, there are, are short sellers. Uh, and you know, in terms of following, uh, not following them on Twitter, I assume, but more trying to to read about the, their investment philosophy. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, not not usually. Uh, perhaps I should do more, but I think I think um, uh, we we certainly have a sort of a, a, a positive tendency uh, rather than and it's 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 hard to be. I, I, you know, I've been shorting stocks in my career earlier as well. It, it's a completely different sentiment and mentality that you need to apply. And it's, it's hard to do the... the I think you know, someone needs to focus, be either a short seller or, or a, a long position person. Uh, so I haven't spent too much time on... on it's, it's not a very usual, uh, very common to have large short positions in, in the invest in the companies in which we invest when it happens i mean people can take different views and and, and is it really important why they took a, a short position 
is it uh, most of the time it's it's shorting Embracer and buying Ubisoft. It's a pairs trading mm. affair. Uh, the the time when it's um, it it becomes more acute or, or to learn more is when you have these short seller reports mm. published. Uh, then we need to take a look at those because more often than not, they're not they're uh, uh, let's say not not uh, completely fact based. Yeah, so something that is really hard is to really decide when you know enough to make the decision, right? How how do you know when when you know enough, like that you don't put too much effort into an idea? You, otherwise, you can look at it forever and never. Never buy it, and that's what you talked about before. Yeah, the procrastination yeah. And, and sort of nihilistic uh, trap, if you will. And <laughs> it's it's funny that we should perhaps uh, invent here a bias that uh, <laughs> comes from avo- trying to avoid all biases by admitting that you don't know anything. Exactly. It comes the avoid or the uh, apathy bias. <laughs> but yeah, are you would a- be the inventor. <laughs> <laughs> You know, one one thing I uh, uh, actually came up when I reread this book um, was uh, um, an example from from um, local politics. Uh, you you can cut this if you don't want it in in this kind of format. But it it um, we had our our a uh, minister uh, Morgan Johansson uh, sort of changing a direction in one on one issue. Namely, uh, having uh, language uh, abilities as as a prerequisite for for citizenship. And you know, he ten years earlier, uh, I'm, I'm and I'm I take a neutral point on politics here, uh, just looking at at the thing itself and how it applies to what the book says. You know, he he um, he has a history of of uh, his his blog. Ten years ago, he he called those people uh, calling for the same thing. He called basically called them Nazis, right? Uh, now, when when he it's okay. I mean, in 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 essence, it's okay to change your mind. It has to be okay for politicians to change their minds. They shouldn't be married to their positions, right? But he really missed an opportunity. Instead of erasing his blog post. What if he had owned up to those, called them mistakes? Said, Look, we're all human. Uh, I did, did these things 10 years ago. Uh, I'm sorry, and I've apologized to the people involved. Now it's time to look at this fresh, and this is my new view. I think uh, <laughs> he would have sort of neutralized all, all the sniding comments. He would have uh, become much more popular. He could even have challenged the uh, uh, apparent heir, uh, Magdalena Andersson, to the, as, a, as a leader for the Social Democratic Party. Uh, I mean, th- th- I think that's an interesting example how you can apply these things, being humble, uh, owning up to mistakes, uh, and be seen in a more positive light, even as a sort of top-level po- politician. Yeah, it's really an actual example of, uh, I mean, many many similar examples in the book, actually. I mean, um, yeah, Trump is quite frequently mentioned, for example. Yeah. Or, yeah. or maybe you have a new you have a new edition. 
Yeah, because they they released one in twenty twenty. Yeah, so that's so, the third uh, one. So I I didn't I didn't read anything about Trump in this, uh, ah, this okay. book from twenty seven twenty two thousand six. Yeah, no, it is is mentioned quite quite frequently for for a reason, and yeah. I agree. I mean, uh, I think we would have a better society if if we had those leaders who really don't self justify. Um, and I mean, I guess you can you can look at social media is is not an evil in itself, but it's it's a, it's a nice lubricant to slide down the pyramid of choice, you know, it it it, it, it um, quickens that process quite a bit. You mean that we are following the people that we want to follow and that have the same opinion that we have, and well, it's a sort of uh, auto nudge ourselves into yeah. to down you know going down the slope of a, of the pyramid of choice. Yeah, and that we never seek out this this confirming evidence, unless, of course, if we've read the book and know those things, and right. actively seek out challenging views. Yeah, we did talk with uh, Heather uh, Brilliant and uh, Krishna Mohanrai from Diamond Hill Capital Management the, uh, in episode five, and and Krishna said that in their fund they work with a like when they see a company producing a result or something, they take one week before they do any action. Mm. So they want to cut out any emotional response and just want to wait and then make a rational decisions after. Mm-hmm. How do you act with that? Because I feel like the markets are moving so fast and... Yeah, I've heard, I mean, there are, are versions of that rule. If you if you meet the management, sit on your hands for three days, etc. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 um, there are different practical rules uh, you know, to, to sort of cut out uh, emotional aspects of, of decisions. Um, we we don't we don't have, we don't have very few sort of uh, checklist strong checklist like rules in our investments. Uh, I guess one would be so if fraud get out unceremoniously, you know, <laughs> as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, that that that's one one of very few sort of rules like that that we use. Another angle is to study. Which businesses that have taken steps actually to mitigate the bad effects of of, of uh, cognitive dissonance, mm-hmm. such as uh, Buffett ordering his managers to give him the bad news first, and uh, Bezos on accepting failures in an in innovation. Uh, have you seen similar characteristics in businesses you have, have followed over the years? I think that uh, you know fund management is is like we started is is a business where you're so exposed to to uh, uh, optical mistakes uh, that y- these things uh, tend tend to to become important in management. Uh, often have to say in in a bad way, um, but uh, so fund management uh, uh, companies can be they can really. Uh, impact their their success or, or failure by, by being cognizant of, of their tolerance of mistakes so so that's an example any any business with that's project oriented um, um, I think particularly about computer games uh, the games business is is one where you have a lot of games uh, failing uh, a lot of games taking longer time to to uh, you know complete um, I think those companies are particularly uh, aware of of uh, these issues. Um, I'm not aware of, of you know great soundbite examples of managements that 
like like the examples that you put up, but uh, I think uh, the, the I more, set the bar high. Yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> but I think it, it, companies and business models that that are are um, exposed to, to this these these kind of problems, they're probably better at handling them. So, um, I mean. As you as you more or less alluded to, some CEOs have a lot of ego and uh, tell you what you think you want to hear. And how do you avoid getting fooled by them? <laughs> um, million dollar question. Yeah, uh, meeting them frequently, uh, trying to meet more people in the same company, getting different aspects. You know, meeting their competitors, meeting their customers, meeting their suppliers, taking the ecosystem view. I think those are, are some useful ways to try, um, because I mean, uh, the the CEO role sort of uh, selects for uh, you know charismatic individuals, uh, who you're easily influenced by, and that's the whole point of them being there, right? <laughs> so uh, it it is something that we need to uh, be aware of and, and uh, guard ourselves against. I was also thinking about another aspect, and that's, uh, I mean, technology companies, I mean, in, in your sphere, um, they they um, come with solutions that have the potential to mitigate uh, effects of flawed wiring, such as the such as dissonance, for example. And that's one example is AI doctors who, I mean, use the, the actual data um, and um, not maybe their subjective views first, because typically as humans, we, we start with our subjective views. Mm-hmm and not the objective, the facts. Um, so I'm cur- curious to know your take on the role technology will, will play in, in the years to come within healthcare or other areas. My, we're, we're, um, we like to, to, to make decisions on sort of first principles, our own data, our own uh, analysis. Uh, we don't want to be dependent on somebody else's views. I mean, that's the first common, I think. And with respect to technology in our firm, uh, we actually use it to try to gather unstructured data, uh, which is uh, sort of crawling the internet basically, trying to find uh, data which we structure and visualize and and use uh, in combination with company visits. So if if the company says A and the data says B, uh, then we get some kind of of, uh, neutral, unbiased, data, uh, which is not, you know, we don't use it to, to sort of forecast the next quarter, but it's more of a health check. Is is the company uh, franchise uh, developing in, in, a, in a long-term positive way? Is, is um, our clients happy? Are communities thriving? Are they engaged? Those sort of things. Um, so that's that's one aspect how we use it. And on, on on more on the on the company side, the the companies you actually invest in, mm. how do they? I mean, do they have? Um, for example, as I mentioned, with AI doctors using uh, data to uh, um, to come up with uh, probabilities of a disease um, based on symptoms. So say that you have these five symptoms, mm. and you would enter them, yeah. and based on the data, um, number one in terms of the disease comes up and number two and number three yeah and then the doctor could could look at that and see okay but um, in this specific example I think uh, I've seen this as well 
which is not in the data. And I, I, I say, okay, number two is more uh, relevant in this case. Mm-hmm. So I think it's number two. Um, is that okay? Because I know that you have healthcare um, companies um, in your sector, and I, I'm not an expert on that. So it would be interesting to hear your take on. I mean, is that what we're going to in in healthcare? Or I think uh, the marriage between uh, biology and compute is is a massive promise for the future. Uh, I think the best example of, of that is are the vaccines. I mean, usually historically, it's taken nine years to to come up with a new vaccine. This one took, or these ones took nine months. Unfortunately, people are skeptic about that. People think that oh, it went too fast. So how can it? How can? It, and I always and the, tell them that it's it's it's, it's technology. technology exactly. <laughs> it's the, it's the uh, compounded effect of of years of science behind this yeah. um, mRNA technology. Uh, and I think it's it's mind-boggling to think about the fact you use you don't use the traditional way of of uh, taking the virus, uh, hitting it with a club, and sort of trying to find the <laughs> a good cure for it, but and and then putting it back, uh, you know, uh, cultivated in uh, cultivating it in eggs and then put it back into humans. Uh, this is more okay. So this is the genetic makeup of a virus. Uh, this is the what the AI has told us is the matchup and the antibody, and then printing that antibody, that spike protein. I mean, that it's such a revolution, and it, it's a good example of what what to come um, in the future. I, I'm very optimistic, given our investment uh, philosophy that we want to invest in, in uh, profitable growth companies. I don't think we will participating be participating in the in the most cutting research projects because they will still be binary of course we uh, our, our, uh, our the fund could uh, have made a lot of mo- money in moderna but it was never uh, in our in our investment sort of you know we, we stayed in our circle of competence and in our risk um, uh, in our risk mandate if you will but I think there will be plenty of opportunities in Nordic niche companies, uh, especially the ones who can act as, uh, you know, sell their picks and shovels to the gold diggers. Uh, and th- these new technologies will expand the whole market and, you know, pave the way for true personalized medicine, which is, uh, I'm so happy to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting to follow. And uh, as this book has many lessons for, from an investor perspective, we have seen here, which they don't mention any, almost any such examples in the book, but it's interesting how much you can really relate a book and then put it in this kind of context. But you also mentioned in the beginning a bit about like how important it is in a personal way. Mm-hmm. How has this book like uh, changed your way of that, like normal living? Well, it's it, it certainly changed my, my attitude uh, in general towards uh, admitting mistakes, owning up to mistakes, and seeing that as a virtue and I mean, it's it's possible to change via you know value systems. Who am I? I if I identify as a person who owns up to my mistakes, I will own up to more mistakes. That's the trick, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. it's easy to see in a in a marriage. Like, I mean, just just uh, if you get okay, why didn't you clean the dishes? And you say, oh, I'm I'm really really sorry. I I 
I, I, I mean, you really take responsibility. That that would be that would be causing you to have a better life. I think on a daily basis, if you if you just okay, admit admit and do it early. Yeah. And I also thought about friendship, and there was a really good quote with the. When a friend makes a mistake, the friend remains a friend, and then the mistake remains a mistake. Exactly. I really like that how you separate yeah. the person and the action, and and, and that comes un- from another very practical uh, takeaway from the book. If you want to some, if you want somebody to think better of you, ask for their help in mm. something. Yeah, exactly. There was the Benjamin Franklin, right? Asking for a book. Yes. Uh, from yeah. his worst enemy. Exactly. Yeah, and then when he got it, they established a relationship, and then things uh, went from there. So you can use this dissonance in a positive way as well. Yeah. And really, for me, it was also a lot about this open-mindedness and and take time to reflect. And I think we talked about this in episode two with Jake Taylor how how stressed we all are, and that we we don't have like we're going on a hike or a or a walk, and we always have something in our ears and listening to something or distracting ourselves. So we a never pod, really, for instance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you should be selective which podcast you listen to. But uh, but how do you do deal with that, like solitude and having time off? Yeah, I, I'm I'm I like I like the pod medium a lot, and uh, perhaps I listen to too much, and and at, uh, I've I've been more active actively trying to to, to do nothing uh, of late because uh, just filling filling. Uh, Every activity with some 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 information flow, flowing through your ears is is not really helpful for creative thought. So um, I'm I'm all I'm all in your camp there, um, trying to find uh, you know solitude and boredom and and trying to think independent uh, thoughts. Yeah, and how do you do that? Like practically, do you go away from the city or do you shut off your phone certain hours or? I I go to the gym. Hmm. Uh, I take walks to to uh, you know in in the mornings I I, I have the option to take a, a thirty minute walk down to a commuter ferry. That's extremely useful for that sort of thing. Yeah, because especially as an investor, you're always and uh, you have investments all over the world. So there's always some market that is open, probably, and some news coming out and some bad news coming out. <laughs> that as well, <laughs> and they always hurt more. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Erik. And um, I really liked the book choice. It was a very good one. Do you have something else you would like to highlight from the book that we have not talked about? I think we've talked about the most important things. I mean, uh, it's never uh, we, we should never um, divulge the whole thing, right? I mean, uh, reading the book, the book and, and forming one's own opinion about it is, is, uh, is, is God's work. <laughs> and before we finish up, uh, do you have any other book recommendations related to this topic certainly um anything by taleb right. <laughs> so let's let perhaps start with the uh, fooled by randomness the, the book we talked about earlier yeah i think uh yeah i love the black swan as well so there there you have two anti-fragile <laughs> is is super too okay. <laughs> read all his books <laughs> <laughs> and where can our audience follow you uh you can best way is to uh, go to tinfonder.se and and subscribe to the monthly letter uh, or follow me and Carl on Twitter, eSpringcorn and Karmfeldt. Perfect. We'll put that in the show notes. Cool. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Investing by the Books, a podcast by Red Eye. 
You can follow us on Twitter at IB underscore RedEye and email us at ib.podcast at RedEye.se. To improve the podcast, we really appreciate your feedback, so please rate and review us. Notice that the content in this podcast is not and shall not be construed as investment advice. This information is meant to be informative and for general purposes only. For full disclaimer, visit redeye.se. For the editing of this podcast, we thank Jon Hintze. And for the graphic design, Jesper Viking. I'm your host, Eddie Pongen. And until next time, I sincerely wish you the best of luck on your journey through life and investing.